most organizations are completely missing the opportunity with their email newsletter. They're focused more on shiny social tools, but in an age where, you know, the email newsletter is the only place where people and not algorithms are in control. I think we need to rethink how we're thinking about our email newsletter. It's not. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn them We are back with another exciting episode of the Marketing Millennials podcast. Today, we are joined with a marketing legend, Anne Handley. She is the Chief Content Officer at Marketing Profs, a training company that empowers marketers internationally with the skills they need to drive success at their companies. She has been cited in Forbes as the most influential woman in social media and is recognized by Forbes Woman as one of the top women bloggers and is also a speaker, author, and a member of the LinkedIn Influencer Program. She is the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Everybody Writes, and a co-author of the bestselling book on content marketing, Content Rules. What doesn't Anne do? I'm so excited for this podcast and hope you are too. Hey, welcome to the show. Super excited for this conversation. Daniel, I am honored to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I want to get started on how you got into writing and marketing, and then we'll get into like the nitty gritty on how to be a better writer and even get started in writing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my, I have always, always wanted to be a writer. Um, when I was eight years old, I started a newsletter in my neighborhood, essentially reporting on what was going on in my neighborhood. Like the neighbors across the street got a new mailbox, big news. The neighbor down the street had a dog that they allowed to roam free. So flouting the leash law, big news, called them out on that. And so all that to say, I always wanted to be a writer, but more specifically, I always wanted to have an audience. And, you know, I was the kind of kid that, you know, writing in a journal or writing in a diary never really appealed to me. But what did appeal to me was writing in a way that would connect with other people that would essentially grow a community, right? Feed a community, grow an audience. And so when content marketing happened in its modern form, I guess you could say, that's when I realized like how important writing is in marketing and I went all in on, on content and how do you actually tell a story there in a compelling way. Now, in between, I did lots of other things from the time that I was eight. You know, I didn't exactly grow that newsletter to have thousands of readers. In fact, I think I made it like three issues and then I got bored and started back up at school and things fell apart. So I wasn't necessarily committed to that project. But I eventually uh, went into journalism and from there went into website publishing and from there went into marketing. So that's it in about, I don't know, three hops of how I got into thinking about marketing and thinking about writing as a cornerstone of marketing. That's awesome. And I want to get into like, how was does someone start getting into writing? Because some people, I know you've said it in your book and you said it like, like teachers when you're growing up, kind of like 
dog on you if you're not a good writer because you don't have good grammar or you don't like can put it together an excellent paragraph like in MLA format how does one get started in writing especially in like marketing type content writing yeah I mean I think the first thing is you have to reframe what's writing you know and I'm using air quotes now I know this is a podcast but Daniel and I are on video so he can see me doing air quotes so you have to you have to reframe what you think of as writing you know, very often when I talk to marketers of all ages, you know, ones that are just starting out, but also ones that have been, you know, in marketing for 20, 30 years, very often when they say that they hate writing or they don't know how to write, they're referring to what you just said, right? They think, oh, I'm bad at grammar. I don't know how to, you know, spell, for example. They, they come up with some very rudimentary things. And that is is not what writing is. Like, think about you know, just the things you do in the course of your day, you know, you, you write an email, you post on social media, all of that is writing when you think of it, because at its purest form, what is writing, it's just a way of communicating and rallying others around your ideas of communicating in a way that's going to resonate with the people you care the most about affecting. And so writing is, is really all of those things. And so I guess the first thing is reframe all your communication as basically writing. And then secondly, you know, don't worry about grammar and spelling and all that stuff. I mean, especially in 2021, there are so many tools that can help you do that. Like it can, that can, you know, that can help you with the, the sort of mechanics of it. I think what's more important is to really understand that the value of writing comes from what you have to say and how you say it. In my own writing, for example, very often I'm breaking grammar rules left and right. And that's okay. Like I, I feel like I've earned that right in the sense that I, I know the rules and so therefore I can break them. But you know, that said, it, it doesn't really matter so much. Like the grammar is important to some degree, but only when it lends clarity. And you don't need to be good at grammar to be a great writer. Yeah, I, I love that because, like, I always like tell people because when I post like on social media, like I haven't gotten into like, in depth writing, but I when I post on social media, like write how you would text like your friend because like they're understanding your text messages and that's writing like you're you're still writing in that content so like i want to get into this like thing that happens in marketing where like people think that you have to like sound smart to come off like so you understood for some reason but like i know you've said into your in your in your book and stuff like that like clarity and brevity is like key so like how could someone like take like something that take so complex and make it clear and concise. Yeah. If something is complex when you're writing it, that probably means that you don't understand it well enough to be able to communicate it in simple, accessible terms. So what that typically means, and this I this happens to me all the time. You know, I work in marketing, I talk a lot about business to business and technology companies. And, you know, sometimes the solutions that I'm talking about don't necessarily, like, I don't understand them. And so I need to to break it down a little further and, and really find out from somebody who does know, like, ask the right questions. You know, what does this actually do for a end user or a customer or whoever it is that you're targeting? So all that to say, it's it, that usually means when you can't really articulate something easily, it usually means that you're having trouble really grasping the the essence of it. And so in, in my mind, that means, you know, you go back to the drawing board and you think about, you know, or, or you, you ask the right questions to subject matter experts or whoever it is that you need to talk to to truly really understand how something works. 
all that to say, I think if something feels complex, it's typically because you haven't been able to digest it and then articulate it in a way that is is simple and accessible. And that's what journalism students do all the time. That's what journalists do all the time. And so I think that's a great model for the way that modern marketing has to work too. You know, marketing in 2021 is the foundation of, in my mind, is very much about education. Like, how do you actually educate your customers about why you're better? We're way, way, way past the age where we're just saying, we're try us and we're better because we're awesome. Like, we're past that sort of, you know, non-substantive marketing. And so in 2021, the more you can explain your value in ways that matter to your customer, framing it for your customer or your prospect, adding context around that, telling a story around it, all of that is really what's going to elevate your marketing and your messaging and ultimately your sales. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to go into like how you build that empathy muscle. Like how do you like get to know your like your end user and reader more? Like what are some things you do? There's a couple of things that I that I think about. I mean, the first is to truly understand who you sell to as a marketer. You have to know those people. The sad thing about marketing is that very often marketers within their roles don't have an opportunity to connect with customers. And that's even more true now, you know, we're at the a year into a pandemic, right? Where we haven't been to trade shows and we haven't been at events where we actually do have an opportunity to talk to our customers potentially, you know, depending on what industry you're in. I think the first thing is to really understand who you're talking to, you know, spend some time in customer service at marketing profs, our customer, uh, sorry, our marketers spend time in customer service, like talking to our customers, the people we sell to who are marketers, talk to sales or or tag along on a sales call so that you really understand what are the challenges and, and where are the opportunities and how do your customers describe their challenges all of that, I think, can help you be a stronger marketer and a more and a stronger writer as well. The last thing that I said there, like paying attention to how customers use or how they describe the problems that they're having, either with your tool or solution, or even just you know more broadly challenges that they have in their in their business life or in their lives. I think that can be incredibly useful because you can pull that very same language when you're communicating with prospects. So yeah, so that's just two ways to get to know your customers. You can also just pick up the phone and plan to like say once a week, have a call with a customer just to talk to them, not to sell them anything, but to really understand again, what are they, what are your challenges? Who are you? You know, tell me a little bit about your world and how you are thinking about things in, in 2021. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to really adopt what I call pathological empathy and that's not just having a sense of, of you know, sort of run-of-the-mill empathy, right? It's really understanding what are the motivations of, of your prospects, of your customers? Why do we matter to them? How do we fit into their lives? In marketing, we think about our target audience very often in terms of demographics or sometimes the geographics, right, where they are or sort of their general profile. But I think it's in 2021, it's so much more important to also think about the psychographics, like their state of mind. Where are they at right now? Like what's inside their heads? Where do they get information from? And, and you know, really take it down an extra level to truly understand how is it that we fit into the context of their lives? Yeah, that's really good. Because I think what a lot of marketers and people get wrong is that like they don't realize that six months ago their customer was different than they are today like Mm -hmm. 
their challenges are different. And if you, you could be writing to them six, the, the customer that you possibly have six months ago, but six months down the line, like their challenges could be way different. And then you're just writing to the wrong, the wrong points and problems and pains that they're having right in that moment. So. Right. Right. I mean, your customer just like, all of us is an evolving, living, breathing thing, right? I mean, the overall, you know, your your position in the market and and you know who you sell to doesn't change, but their mindset can change, right? Pretty significantly, especially like in 2021 when we are all, you know, when we've undergone this enormous stress and situation with the pandemic, right? So how is how is that playing out within our own market? And it's surprising, I think, in in how it plays out, right? And and whether it seems obvious or not, I think it's incumbent on marketers to try to connect with with the people you sell to on a regular basis. So kind of build that into your workflow, I think can be enormously helpful. Yeah. So we just like say like knowing your customer is so important when creating content. Like when you start creating like a piece of content for marketing, like what is like what goes through your mind when you sit down and write that piece of content? Like what is like the formula in your head? Like what is like something that makes quality content? Mm, that's a big question. I mean, I, I guess even just before I create content, I really want to know what's the goal of this piece of content. Why am I creating this? Why is it important? One of the things that I talk about all the time is that, you know, you never want to start your content strategy or writing any piece of content with like, we need a piece of content for blank, right? Because the world is not waiting for another piece of content. So you don't want to start it there. Instead, it's our, what does your customer need from you? And why are we doing this, right? And so I think answering those two questions first is incredibly important, right? So why are you doing this? And then what does your customer need from you is much more effective than thinking about it from the standpoint of we need a piece of content for. And this is a real problem that in marketing because we have an editorial calendar that we're following or we have a campaign calendar or, or a publishing schedule, right? So we say, well, every Tuesday we publish a blog post. So let's create a blog post. But, you know, and that's fine. Like I'm not saying following a calendar is, is you shouldn't do that. In fact, I do think it's important. But I think rather than letting the calendar dictate it, you've got to let your customer needs dictate it. So answer those two questions first. Why are we doing this and, and who is it for and why do they need it more specifically? So answer those questions and then you know figure out what you want to create. But in terms of the writing, I mean, once I've answered those questions, I you should read my first drafts of whatever I write. I mean, they're, they're so spectacularly ugly that they are <laughs> almost... I don't know, like they're just, they, they would, they're, they're horrible, right? They're just frightening, you know, and that's okay. I start every piece typically with making almost like a list of what it is that I want to say, and then I'll build it out from there. And I rush through that first draft as fast as I possibly can, because I don't like that phase of writing. I love writing, but I don't love that phase of writing. So the first draft of anything is, is super ugly, at least in my case. And I think in most people's cases, and then the second thing is that it's it can be very painful. I've spoken to maybe, I mean, in the course of my career, maybe about, I don't know, five people who really enjoy that first draft process. You know, there's, there's a whole lot more of us, I think, who really don't enjoy that sitting down and writing a first draft. And it, it can be very painful. It's painful for me. 
And so I rush through that. But what I do enjoy is that second, third, and fourth draft. I, that's that's my process. I write it super quickly and then go back and polish and tweak and refine. And that to me is kind of where the magic happens. Yeah, I mean, I love that people think that all these great writers like could do it in their sleep. But a lot of the time, it's like they they're struggling as much as you're struggling when you're writing your first piece. So yeah, you know. I think especially at first, you know, it's like people will like people who read my email newsletter, for example, will say to me, "God, like you know, it's you make it look so easy." And that's the magic. That's where the magic happens. But I make it look easy because I I refine and I refine and I revise and I polish it, you know, to within an inch of its life. So that happens on the second, third and fourth draft. And then eventually at some point I have to just let go and say, okay, okay, I'm done. I'm done. But, you know, that doesn't happen on the first draft. And so you would not think that it was easy for me if you read my first drafts, but that's okay. Because those first drafts are not for anybody else to read other than me. They're basically just a bunch of incoherent ideas and, and thoughts and a general sense of direction but you know not it doesn't necessarily amount to anything anything important there's a there's a writer called uh, his name is Andre Debut the third and he describes writing as inching your way along a very dark cave it's pitch black and you don't know where the ends of the cave are at the ends of the the walls of the cave are, and you don't know where it's going to end. And so you sort of have to feel your way an inch at a time. And I love that analogy because very often that is what the first draft of anything can feel like, <laughs> but you just gotta, you know, keep feeling your way through until you get to something that starts to feel a little bit more solid and you start to get a little bit more of that light creeping in. That's a, a great analogy. I love that. That's, I'm definitely going to like, write that down somewhere so I can have it with me. I wanted to go into like, how have you stayed creative over like the years of marketing? Like how have you like figured out ways to keep standing out like and be different? Because I think like, I know a brand is ever evolving, a person's ever evolving and like channels are ever evolving. So you have to keep like being different and creative in marketing. So how do you, you, you do that like in your own personal life? about that for a second i don't know i mean i guess i could some i could say something kind of kind of amorphous and vague like you know you have to stay curious <laughs> but i guess the truth daniel is that i just try things i try things all the time and some things work and some things don't and the things that work i start to feel that they're working and i lean into them a little bit more so i don't th think that i have necessarily any any magic ability to be more creative or, or to inspire myself or to reinvent myself on a regular basis or to come up with new ideas and new projects. It's just that I try stuff and I let go of this feeling that I'm going to be destroyed if I feel, if I fail. So once you let go of that feeling that you're going to be destroyed, if you fail, you feel a whole lot freer to create things and with the, with the knowledge and the understanding and the compassion for yourself that it may not succeed. So yeah, I think that's that's kind of what it is for me. Over the past year, you know, I, I get a lot of inspiration and I feel fed a lot by going to events, right? Going to conferences, speaking to other, not just marketing professionals, but other business owners, entrepreneurs from all over the world. And so that's been a little bit of a challenge for me just in 2020 and into the beginning of 2021 here to keep up that momentum and 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 
how do I like, how do I find those opportunities to, you know, connect with other people and get fed almost organically? Like for some people that's going into an office every day and just having those like side conversations in the hallway, say, but you know, that, and that's not happening to them for them. Marketing profs is virtual. And so I've never had that opportunity. And so conferences and events and meetings like that have always filled that gap for me. And so not having that ability to just, you know, be walking down a hallway in the San Diego Convention Center and bumping into somebody and having the serendipity of that conversation where they mention something and I think, oh, that actually connects to this other thing that I've been thinking about, you know, the way the conversation evolves organically. And so that has been something that I've had to work harder in 2020 and beginning of 2021 to replicate. Some of that has just been happening through me being a little bit more proactive about reaching out to people and scheduling you know, Zoom calls or, or, or that kind of stuff. But even that doesn't necessarily feel like it feeds that impulse because, you know, when you schedule something, it's very different than bumping into somebody in the hallway and the serendipity of that moment is hard to manufacture. So Clubhouse in some ways has become that for me, you know, at least at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021 so far. And just finding opportunities to just connect with with professionals in in, in a more organic and a less structured way. Yeah, I love that. I think like it's a lot of times it's just like finding your inputs like that you need. Like yours yours seem like conversations are like one of your biggest things and then trying new things and others could be something else where they get inputs where it could be reading books or like social media content whatever you're just finding inputs to have good outputs so you can connect those dots mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah and also just you know i mean that's how i use social as well just having some fun on social media i use instagram just to sort of goof around and sometimes i'll see something there that'll it'll spark a, a bit of inspiration or a bit of creativity or, or something like that the other thing that i would say is that you know when i see an idea and i start to to and it starts to take hold in me. Like I start to think, oh, this could be a fun thing to pursue or a fun thing to build a project around or to build a campaign around. I mean, it could be any of those things. I definitely feel this sort of quickening, like I get excited about it, you know? And so I, I've learned to pay attention to those moments. Some people will call it like their gut. It's like a gut check. Like, But for me, it, it almost bubbles up. And I think like that's literally how it feels within me. And I've learned to really pay attention to those moments. So in other words, what I'm saying is my own intuition and my own gut, like that's how it it expresses itself. And I've learned to, to really value those moments. I spent a lot of time when I was younger trying to pursue the path that I thought was right, not just in my career, but I mean, just like, oh, we should um, do this because this is the way that campaigns are run or stories are written or whatever the case may be. So rather than doing it the prescribed way, though, I've learned to look for those moments to do things a little bit differently and add my own spin to it. So I'll give you a very specific example. Three years ago, I relaunched my own email newsletter. So Marketing Process had an email newsletter for 20 years. I started it in 2000, and it's still going strong. As I've advanced through my career and as Marketing Process has grown, I'm not producing that email newsletter anymore, right? And so that was nothing that I was necessarily touching. And so I missed that sort of creativity. Like I missed that opportunity to speak directly to an audience. And so I decided to launch my own email newsletter, which is a backstory to tell you that when I was going to relaunch it, 
you know, there's a prescribed way that an email newsletter is done, right? Like if I said to you, like, think about a brand email newsletter, what would that look like? And it's like a curated collection of links, it's a little pure um, promotion in there for the brand and whatever they're selling. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to do this in a little bit of a different way. And I started to get really excited about the idea of thinking about an email newsletter that was less focused on the news and more focused on the letter. And so that, to me, that was a moment where I felt this like, oh, that's really interesting. Like I felt this quickening. And now that could have failed. It could have not. And it didn't. It didn't fail. But all that to say is that I had to listen to my own gut there because what I ended up producing as an email newsletter goes against what most other best practices would say an email newsletter is. And it also goes against just marketing and at the time, 2018, right? Because in 2018, everybody was doing live video and everybody was talking about, you know, using video and audio to connect with audiences. Why aren't you launching a podcast? Why aren't you launching like a live show? And I just zigged when everybody else was zagging. And I said, I'm going to do an email newsletter. And people were like, why? And three years later, it's grown to 48,000, 49,000 people, subscribers, something like that. And it's my most favorite thing I do. And it's completely different, I think, than most other email newsletters out there. Yeah, I think one thing that I got out of this conversation that's very like insightful is like you have to like know the rules to be able to break them. And I think like every single time you've done like zigged when everybody zags, is you've like known the rules. Like you've known the rules of marketing, but you just broke them because like at least you knew like what a newsletter was and what a format is, but you just changed it up and you knew what a best practice was, but you changed it up. It was never like you went in it blind and not known anything about it. Um, so you kind of took the playbook and threw it out and reinvented a new playbook. So yeah, that's true. I guess you got to read the playbook first though, right? Yeah. Because you have to figure out what, what's going to work for you. And, and I think you need to give yourself permission to do that as well. And that's what I was saying. When I started in my career, I didn't give myself permission. I just followed the playbook. And here, I do exactly what you say. Like, I know what everybody else is doing, but I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. One question, I know we're up here with time soon, but what is one question I wanted to ask, and I asked everybody in this is like, what is one thing you think marketers are doing wrong today? Like, and it could be like, Sometimes I'm doing the things wrong too, but like, what are some things you think is like, you think most marketers are doing wrong in 2021? Oh boy. Yeah, it's funny. I I don't love to be in the position of criticizing marketing, only be marketers specifically, I should say, only because I think marketers are so hardworking and they are so undervalued by most organizations. Um, And so I personally feel like I always am lifting marketers up. And so I hate to say marketers are getting this wrong, but we can just say, we can just say marketing in general. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's probably a a less personal way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I sort of talked about this earlier, but I think most organizations are completely missing the opportunity with their email newsletter. They're focused more on shiny social tools, but in an age where you know, the email newsletter is the only place where people and not algorithms are in control. I think we need to rethink how we're thinking about our email newsletter. It's not a distribution strategy. It's an opportunity to connect with one person at one time. 
And that is the place that I want to be as a marketer. I want to speak directly to you. If you are a prospect or a customer, I don't want to go through Facebook to find you. Yeah, I like that. I love that a lot because a lot of people are thinking that one-to-many strategy and it's become like a big thing, like how could I reach as many people at one time? But that one-to-one connection is so important in marketing. It's like Yeah, and it's not a zero-sum. Yeah, exactly. It's not a zero-sum game either. Like I wouldn't say that, you know, do your email newsletter and do nothing else. I, I mean, I absolutely believe that it's an important cornerstone and that so many of your social programs and so many of your other lead generation programs should ultimately lead to your email newsletter that it should convert them to subscribers. So with that, I think is it should be your goal. So I'm not saying don't do any of that other stuff, but I'm saying focus on that email newsletter as the opportunity to take all that other stuff and convert it into your own database and into nurturing your own relationships. An email newsletter is fundamentally the best nurturing tool out there. And most organizations are still thinking about it in a much more hands-off way. I'm sort of on a, I could talk about this for another half an hour. I'm on a, I'm on a mission to change that with, with marketing, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that would be it. Yeah. I love it. Cause I like one thing that one of my favorite marketers say right now is like, what's old is new again in marketing. It's like that relationship building, like the newsletters back, like, like the, mm-hmm. the one-to-one connection with people are back. Like people are going down to like the simplest forms again. You you were ahead of the game two years ago doing it, but now like people are realizing that like, this is a, a thing, like all these platforms are launching newsletter things now, like yes. Twitter and LinkedIn and right, all these exactly. Yeah, there's a reason why Twitter required review, right? There's a reason why Facebook is launching its own email newsletter platform to copy what Twitter is doing with review. There's a reason why LinkedIn started doing it last December. They started allowing you to take whatever you're publishing there and send it out to your followers or or your connections on LinkedIn as a quote-unquote newsletter. Um, And so there's a reason they're all doing that because they see the value in it too. And so brands, it's it's incumbent on you to get ahead of the game and to realize that you have that power. You don't need the social platforms to do that, to connect with your customers. And so really think more more carefully about how you're using that vehicle. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. This has been awesome and super insightful. I want to leave you like one minute to say where someone could find your newsletter or anything new you're doing like i want to give you a platform to speak to the marketers listening no oh, thank you i feel like this whole conversation has been that but thank you yeah. daniel um yeah you can connect with me on any of the social platforms i'm typically at ann handley on there on twitter i am also at marketing prof so i have a a split personality on there. <laughs> you can subscribe to my email newsletter at annhanley.com slash newsletter. And, uh, or you can just reach out to me via my personal site. All my contact info is there if you want to just say hi or if I can help you in any way. Cool. Thank you so much for this conversation. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. Yeah. Have fun with your puppy that nobody could see right now, but <laughs> super cute. <laughs> and thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much, Daniel. Daniel.